and welcome to the latest edition of Energy Levelized, the embarrassed podcast where we shed light on complex issues in the fast-changing energy landscape. My name is Ian Niebuhr. And I'm Bill, and we're your hosts. Energy Levelized is a glimpse behind the scenes, a chance to hear from the passionate personalities behind the mountains of research the Enverus Intelligence team puts out on the energy space. We invite you to join us as we have fun, unscripted and honest conversations tackling the toughest questions in energy. Welcome to the latest edition of Energy Levelized. My name is Ian Niebuhr and together with my co-host Bill Price, we are joined today with Embarrassed Intelligence's Senior Oil Market Analyst, Mr. Al Salazar. Thanks, uh, Ian. Al has over 20 years of experience in the industry, working for Nkana, Synovus, Suncor, and he joined us here at Inveris in 2018. Um, he's he's a, a, one of our leading fundamental oil market analysts, uh, and he's also worked on hedging and corporate strategy and even in the renewable sector as well. So, Al, thanks very much for joining us. Um, it's been a fascinating uh, period in oil markets over the last year or so, um, but it looks like we're getting bullish going into 23. What's what's uh, what's happening? What's shaking? What's driving the market right now? Thanks, Bill, for having me on. And uh, yeah, that's that's a very good question. the The driver behind the bullishness is really around low inventory levels, and by inventory, I mean crude products. And second is is supply constraints. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty around Russian supply, the impact of sanctions on the Russian supply. Um, certainly, they don't seem to be very sticky at the moment. Uh, there's also OPEC, who tipped their hat in Q4 and decided to defend prices and keep the markets tight. Um, and U.S. supply growth, who I'll mention here, you are one of the most bullish last year on, on growth, and it came up underperforming at about a half a million barrels a day. Um, so you combine, you know, tightness in supply, and I mentioned also OPEC, they didn't have much spare capacity there. That, the tightness in supply combined with uh, close to, you know, 300, 400 million barrels below average on, on inventory levels, uh, it really is a, a recipe for uh, higher prices uh, with any combination of demand growth this year, which... Uh, we're already the most bearish on the street. So those are those are basically the drivers behind our price call for this year of $100. That's a pretty, pretty interesting dynamic there that we're both bullish price and bearish demand. Maybe you can unpack the demand view and how are you thinking about that? Yeah, absolutely. The demand view, um, well, straight up, we're calling for right around a million barrels a day of demand growth year on year. And that's quite a step down from the close to 2 million that we saw last year. And the the range of possibilities is between half a million to 2 million. And, and really what's causing that um, uncertainty is the recession boogeyman. Our million is based on a GDP forecast of uh, conservatively around 2.9% GDP for the year. Uh, the IMF uh, upgraded that just a couple of days ago, uh, added a couple of ticks to that. Uh, but the World Bank is on the opposite end and halved it, which causes a bit of grief on the downside. But again, if you need more barrels this year, whether it be half a million, a million, two million, it really begs the question, where does it come from? And if it comes from inventories, then you're exacerbating the low inventory situation. 
and it just calls on that incremental barrel, which is it was needed a higher price to summon that. Uh, we haven't we haven't fixed the inventory situation yet. People are, have have seen that that we're still including the SPR again, close to 400 million barrels below normal. You know, I'm fascinated by this because we've seen a period of high oil prices following uh, Ukraine crisis. Um, we've seen sustained period of high prices, and yet both in North America and elsewhere in the world, we're not seeing a supply response that we would normally have seen. So what do you think is going on there in the longer term? Do you think concerns, I mean, the, people talk a lot about the capital constraints. They talk about um, returning cash to shareholders and all the rest of it. But do you, but do you think the days of um, investment in upstream are changing? Do you think there's been a structural shift? I think you can see that in the valuations. Uh, certainly, last year was a bumper year for for cash return, given hundred dollar crude. Um, but you know, it, you know, talking to some of our commercial folks, they're saying that the valuations are just not there. Um, the peak demand boogeyman is always uh, hovering over long term capital projects as a as a potential constraint or, or a risk to your investment. Uh, certainly, there's the ESG green momentum. There's the supply discipline um, or capital discipline argument also that's causing that. There's a lot of uncertainty around the five to 10 year horizon of what the oil markets will look like at that point in time. Uh, and, and one of the uncertainties is driven by demand. You can see just the discrepancy in views. Exxon thinks it grows, you know, the consistent million barrels per day. And BPCs has transitioned towards the electrification of the light duty fleet as well as efficiency gains in, in terms of CAFE standards that, that begin to erode demand and calls for a peak. And that's quite the divergence in views and gives investors and, and valuations a bit of pause, not like what you had before, maybe perhaps 10 years ago. So as you, as you think about that unfolding, uh, the developed world is, is a big part of that, I guess, in the short term and the medium term. So what do you think about China? China's obviously opening up this year. How's that play into your shorter term view? And then as you think about that progression for demand going forward, uh, how does the developing world play into that view? Sure. Um, China is the big um, the big driver for this year's uh, demand growth call. We have them in at about a half a million barrels a day of year on year growth. That is in relation to OPEC, what they call but in relation to the IEA, about half a million barrels a day light. They're, they're calling for almost 900,000 barrels a day growth this year. And when I think of China, the first thing people will say, oh, well, they're going to travel. There's going to be that revenge travel demand, and that's there. I'll give them the gasoline. I'll give them the jet. But the one thing that we'll debate is the petrochemical demand and increased industrial demand for this year. In the face of economic weakness, China is still an exporter of goods. That is where... Our hesitation is in terms of going to the 500 to 900,000 barrel a day number for growth year on year this year, is if the world is weak, where do you send your product to? And certainly those things come in waves. So we're fully on board on the the revenge and the the break free bull demand bounce back trade. That's the half a million, but the extra 350 to 400, that's more of a global call. Farther out, been consensus now that Chinese demand is something that. Uh, I'm a little bit concerned about. It has been the driver for oil demand growth for the past decade. In fact, it's probably 67% of oil demand growth. Uh, demographic headwinds are quite intense. The the aging population, uh, I think I was looking at the stats 
the the median age going from 40 to 50, they're doing it at a 30% faster pace than the Japanese did it at over the next 10 years. And certainly that's not constructive of continued half a million barrel day demand growth year on year. And that is a headwind that I think uh, the world and, and developing world will have to face. So that's, that's quite a bit different than it was the past 10 years. I've got a question. It's a good segue, this actually, towards um, Russian barrels uh, and where they're ending up. I mean, our, our view has been that we would expect to see a decline in, in, in Russian net production and exports because of the impact of the European sanctions. But we're still on the fence about quite how that will play out. But but let's face it, you know, China is taking a lot of extra Russian barrels at a 30 to 40 percent price discount to, to the market rate. Um, does that give Chinese consumption a, a tiny bit of a, a tailwind, do you think? I think... And that's a fascinating question because I, I saw uh, a couple of days ago this chart that showed that the number one place of activity for offshore drilling was China, right? It's fascinating. It feels as if though they're hoarding oil, their imports are coming back, and they're preparing for something. Uh, notionally, if they're getting discounted oil and they're putting it in their tanks, that should be bullish. Um, but again, they, they're, they're trying to make that shift to a consumer driven economy. Uh, and, and, and certainly I, I think, you know, cheap oil, cheaper oil to feed that facilitates that, that growth. But again, I think if you have nowhere, you know, a lot of their manufacturing is still through there. They feel that Southeast Asian region, if the rest of the world is not healthy, I don't think China could be healthy as well because of the interdependence. So your your question again, uh, how does China fit? And I guess the greater theme is how does China fit over the next 10 years, given demographic headwinds, given the Russian relationship and everything? I, I look at it like this and, and try to simplify it. If I was to strip away Chinese demand growth um, from global demand, uh, what I have is India and, and the emerging markets like Latin America and the Middle East. Uh, their growth being offset by European and developed market declines. So if Russia serves that Chinese barrel, it, it's it, and I know the argument is that it's just a rearranging of the deck chairs, but it serves as a bit of a bifurcation of the global oil market. Uh, I know that notionally, if you look at the Euro screen, that it's at a thirty dollars discount, but many folks will point to that that price marker is not that accurate because. Uh, these barrels are being traded in the gray market and are probably at a higher level than what that euro discount is indicating. So that lack of transparency in what those Chinese barrels are being uh, actually transacted at, it, it just serves to show that this market, the invasion of Ukraine, is is bifurcated and that the trade patterns and flows are, are changing in front of our eyes. So we just zoom out. It sounds like you're saying that we've got demand kind of balanced at the moment or getting close to being balanced slow down obviously this year a million barrels a day of growth got developing world offsetting the new world uh or so the the existing or developed world what's happening on the supply side to meet this mix exactly. where are the ups and downs what is happening on the supply side i am struggling to get u.s production growth we were talking about ofs uh, oil field services and labor constraints that prevented that growth we talked about, uh, you know, in different areas of how Permian 
productivity seems to be struggling. No car, which is non-North America, Canada, US and Russia. Looking at potential supply, the only thing that we could see is Guyana Suriname and perhaps Brazil in three or four years down the road, adding two to three million barrels a day, but that's not immediate. Uh, we talked about um, OPEC spare capacity. They didn't have much spare capacity during that $100, $130 run-up. Uh, and, and there's lots of concern about them or their inability to bring on extra barrels. So it's not coming from there. So if I was to summarize, if I was to take, you know, if I was to take a bullish view on oil demand and and say we're growing anywhere between one and a half to two million barrels a day for the next five years, I really don't know where that five to ten million barrel day of incremental supply comes from. Wow, <laughs> it seems like you're 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 giving us the the explanation for peak demand, basically. Yeah. I think that's what you're saying. But anyway, look, we've run out of time. Um, thanks, Al. Um, that was fascinating. Uh, whirlwinds tour de force through the, the the landscape of the oil market um, and and some of the global factors that that drive it. Um, if you want to continue this conversation and learn more about Anvers's insights, research, and data products, please contact the Anvers team. Um, this podcast was recorded on February the 2nd, 2023. Inveris Intelligence Research Incorporated provides leading energy industry research and is a subsidiary of Inveris, the largest SaaS company in the world solely dedicated to the energy market. Therefore, any company mentioned in this podcast may be a subscriber or client of Inveris Intelligence Research, Inveris, or their affiliates. However, any views expressed in this podcast accurately reflect the speaker's personal views about any subject securities referenced. The information contained in this recording is provided for information purposes only and is not to be used or considered as investment advice or recommendation or offer to buy, hold, or sell any securities or other financial instruments. Please visit www.inveris.com disclosures for additional information.